This program is made possible by the giving of the God Called Partners of Renner Ministries. Hey friends, this is Rick Renner. I'm so excited about today's program because we're going to return to the city of Ephesus. For years, people have said, Brother Rick, would you please take a tour of Ephesus and let us go with you? Well, I can't do that. So I decided to bring Ephesus to you and we've created a brand new series, which is called Take a Tour with Rick. Ephesus, and I show you Ephesus through the eyes of the Apostle Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla as they saw it when their ship first arrived there in the year 52. Yesterday, we saw that they arrived at the great gate of the harbor. Today, we're going to walk up the Arcadian Street right into the very heart of Ephesus, and you will feel that you're seeing all the sights and sounds that the apostolic team saw when they first arrived there. But order the entire series. It's 10 parts. And we're also offering you the book which goes with this series, which is called A Light in Darkness. It is a fabulous book, full color, every page filled with marvelous photographs and art. So you will feel you have stepped right into the city of Ephesus with me. I want you to really understand the environment in which the New Testament church was birthed. But you can order all these things by going online or by giving us a call. But let's get started as we begin Rick's tour of Ephesus. Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust, a message that will inspire, strengthen, and equip you with vital insights and understanding from the Word of God. Here is Rick. In AD 52, when Paul came here with his team and they walked on this street, they would have seen to the side a huge lower harbor marketplace, which was the slave market of Ephesus. In 52 AD, there were big slave markets all over the world. Rome had a big one. Alexandria had an enormous one. There was a big one in Athens, a huge slave market in Corinth. But the slave market here in the city of Ephesus was very important because from here, slaves were carried into the whole of Asia Minor. And they regularly arrived here in Ephesus on ships being transported from other parts of the empire. They were immediately disembarked from the ships like cargo carried into the slave market where they were placed on the dock immediately to be inspected by potential buyers who purchased them and carried them home as their personal slaves. Wow, and it's for sure that Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla saw this slave market when they first entered the city of Ephesus. And this is so very important to the New Testament, particularly to the book of Ephesians, where Paul writes about redemption. The word for the market is the word agora. The word for redemption is the word agorizo. It is borrowed from the slave market where slaves were put on the auction block, they were beat, they were slapped, they were abused, but then someone came along and paid a price to buy them from that place of misery. That's the word redemption, which we find in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, but most notably in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, where Paul writes, you are bought with a price. That word bought is the Greek word agorizo, borrowed from the word agora, the slave market of the ancient world, which means Jesus purchased you and me with his blood and set us free from spiritual slavery. 
but it's for sure that the Ephesians really understood that word redemption because right here in the very heart of the city, near the big storehouses and warehouses at the harbor was the slave market where slaves were put on the auction block and somebody came along to redeem them, to purchase them. But my friends, no price has ever been paid higher for a slave than the price that was paid for you. You were purchased with the blood of Jesus. But when Paul and his team walked on the street right past that marketplace where slaves were sold, they probably didn't realize that many of their first future church members were going to come from the slave market. That's because most of the members of the early church were slaves. These were people who served in slavery, and that explains why Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 5 and addressed the issue of slavery. And it's interesting that in the church there were slave owners and there were slaves. And Paul refers to this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, when he says, Servants, be in, be in obedience to them that are your masters according to the flesh. Think about it. In the church, there were slaves and there were slave owners. And the Bible addressed both of them how to live, how to get along, how to treat each other. Wow, that is amazing. All the complications they had to deal with in the early emerging church. But the church members in Ephesus really understood that word redemption because it is from the word agorizo, which is a derivative of the word agora, which described the slave market here in the city of Ephesus. But soon the power of God would erupt in this city and many of these slaves and slave owners would come to Christ. And this same thing happened in cities all over Asia Minor because Paul and his team came here to establish the city of Ephesus as a headquarters for the work of the gospel in this region of the world. Paul and his team continued walking up the street, which today is referred to as the Arcadian. Back in those days, when Paul and his team arrived here, it was simply called the Harbor Street, but later it was renamed, I'll tell you why, in just a moment but the street was paved with massive marble stones. They are amazing because they're so huge and they're pristine white. The street was lined with 200 columns and interspersed between the columns were nearly 200 shops. The street was 1,800 feet long and 35 feet wide. The boulevard must have looked endless, going all the way from the harbor gate to the massive steps that led up to that great theater. And as Paul stood on this boulevard, he must have gazed in amazement at the great theater in the distance before him. And he didn't know that in just a mere three years, thousands of idol worshipers would gather in that same theater to raise their voices against him and against his companions in the ministry. But eventually, this boulevard became known as the Arcadian because it was restored at the order of the Emperor Arcadius. And as a result, it was subsequently renamed in his honor. And if you have an arcade in your city, that word arcade is derived from this street where there were all kinds of shops and all kinds of business taking place. But when Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla arrived in 52 AD, the long boulevard made of pure white marble was still 
in its stunning original condition. The decorations along the boulevard were simply lavish, intended to let newcomers know they had entered a city of great wealth and power. It must have been mind-boggling for Paul's team as they walked up this boulevard for the first time. Both sides of the street were lined with a long row of stoas, that's long, covered colonnades, that followed the entire length of the Arcadian on both sides, all the way from where it began at the harbor gate to where it ended at the base of the great theater. The colonnade roof was supported with 200 magnificent columns and pillars. The floors of the colonnades were covered with fabulous mosaics rivaling works of art in palaces. But Ephesus was so lavish that these incredible mosaics were part of the pavement for those who shopped under the roofs of the covered colonnades. It must have been astonishing to Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla to see this exquisite craftsmanship on floors in a street market. The colonnades were filled with people shopping for exquisite products and goods that were brought to the city on ships from abroad. And interspersed between the shops were niches with statues of gods and Roman leaders, historians, poets, writers, and musicians. Elegance abounded everywhere the human eye could see. And because of a niche with inscriptions excavated near the great theater, we even know that this marvelous boulevard was lighted at night with two rows of torches. Today, when you walk on the Arcadian, there are so many interesting sights to see from earlier ages. For example, from the Roman period, there are rooms that had reflective pools designed to reflect the statues of gods and emperors. As you walk along, you often see circles in the pavement with intersecting lines. They look perhaps like board games that would be played by children. But in fact, these were secret codes left on the pavement by Christians. And in fact, if you dissect all the lines, it spells ichthus, which was a word used for early Christians to identify where they were, where they were meeting, where they were working. The word ichthus was a special word used by early Christians as a secret code. It's actually the Greek word fish, ichthus, but the first letter is iota, and to the early Christians it meant Jesus. The second letter is chi, and to the early Christians it meant Christ. The third letter is theta, and to the early Christians it meant God. The next letter is upsilon, which to the early Christians meant son. And the last letter is sigma, which to the early Christians meant savior. This was a special emblem used between Christians to identify where they were working, where they were living, or where their secret meetings were taking place. Also, as you walk up the Arcadian today, there's one very tall special column that remains from four earlier columns. And these columns were erected during the Byzantine period of the Roman Empire, which was the later Christian era of the Roman Empire. And each of these columns represented one of the gospel writers. Three of them today are gone, and the one that survives is the column dedicated to the Gospel of John, and that is amazing because John lived in this city when he wrote the Gospel of John. Also, as you walk up this street, you can see the remnants of approximately 200 shops. Today, they're filled in with dirt, but interspersed between these columns are doorways which once led into shops where people could buy all kinds of products which had been brought here on ships from all over the Roman Empire.
As Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla continued their walk toward the center of Ephesus, they noticed to their left our gargantuan building. It was the bathhouse of the lower part of Ephesus. Now what you see behind me now are the remnants of a later bathhouse that was built by the Emperor Domitian. And that's very important because this bathhouse was standing here when the Apostle John was living here in the city of Ephesus. But when Paul came, there was already a huge bathhouse in this location. And my friend, it was a palace of pleasure. The walls were veneered with marble. There were enough rooms here to accommodate hundreds of people at one time. Domitian's Harbor bathhouse was 480 feet by 510 feet. The massive structure was fabulous beyond belief. But the earlier bathhouse that Paul and his team saw when they arrived here was very important for health reasons. It was customary for people arriving by ship to go to the harbor bathhouses to cleanse themselves. Back in those days, people had a general awareness of the connection between cleanliness and sickness. So this rule was applied as a way of making sure no diseases were carried into the city of Ephesus. A very important event occurred in this particular bathhouse built by Domitian at the time when the Apostle John was living here. Irenaeus, one of the great fathers of the church who recorded a lot of history, told us about a man named Serenthus. Serenthus was a Jew from Alexandria who carried a lot of pagan ideas and he began to teach that Jesus was really not divine, but was just a good man that was adopted by God. And he began to be very popular with his teaching, particularly in the city of Ephesus. And in fact, Irenaeus tells us the reason John wrote his fourth gospel, the gospel of John, was to refute these false teachings of Serenthus. But Irenaeus also tells us that Polycarp, who was the nearby bishop of Smyrna and was a very good friend of the apostle John, recorded an event that occurred in this bathhouse. Irenaeus recounts that Polycarp told him that John, the disciple of the Lord, came to bathe in Ephesus at this bathhouse. And when he discovered that Serenthus was in the bathhouse, John rushed out of the bathhouse, exclaiming, let us flee, lest the bathhouse fall down because Serenthus, the enemy of the truth, is in it. It's possible that John, according to Irenaeus, thought the bathhouse would collapse as a result of divine judgment upon Serenthus. And the story reveals the horror which the apostles and their disciples had against holding even verbal communication with any corruptors of the truth. And we know that they encouraged early Christians to not even extend a greeting to false teachers, nor allow them to enter into their houses. That event occurred in this very bathhouse. I can almost see the Apostle John and his friends fleeing out of it, lest the building collapse on them. But on the day that Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla came to the city of Ephesus, it is very likely they came here to this bathhouse to bathe because that was the custom for people before they entered large cities. After the apostolic team had walked the 1,800 feet on the Arcadian from the harbor to this place, they came to this amazing set of stairs, which leads up to the great theater. But in this particular location, two streets intersect. One is called the Marble Street to my left. 
The other is called the Palatia Incaresis to my right. Pedestrians now had three options. They could walk up the steps into the great theater, or they could turn left and go on the Marble Street, which led toward the center of the city, or they could go this direction and walk the Platea Incaresis, which led to the great stadium of Ephesus. They could walk up the steps to the entrance of the great theater, and Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla may have done that. Or they could turn right and walk on a road that was officially named Marble Street, a magnificent road that led to a school of philosophy on the site where the great Celsus Library stands today. Or they could have turned left and followed the street called Palatia Incaresis, a road that led to the great stadium of Ephesus and eventually to the temple of Artemis. This crossroad gave pedestrians the choice of entertainment in the theater, education at the school of philosophy, or bloodshed in the stadium. Regardless of which direction a person chose to take, both streets were lavishly adorned with columns that were 33 feet high, fashioned of marble or granite, and crowned with handcrafted Corinthian and Ionian capitals that rested on their tops like graceful tiaras. The columns symmetrically lined both sides of the street and its sporadic intervals between the columns were idols of gods and statues of honored citizens. The number of idols and statues on display would have seemed too numerous for Paul and his team to count as they gazed down these streets in both directions. The idols and statues were carved from white marble and sculpted to replicate human form in every detail. It's amazing that today modern museums show these statues as being white, but that's because the paint has worn off. At the time Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla arrived in Ephesus, they were painted to give them a lifelike impression. The reason they're white in museums is because the paint has worn off over thousands of years. But back then, when Paul and his team arrived, the hair was painted to look so real that a viewer might feel he could reach out and run his fingers through it. The flesh was painted to give the impression of real flesh instead of stone. If idols and statues had clothes, the clothes were painted to look like actual clothing made out of fabric. But especially in the world dominated by Greek society, the naked human body was most often portrayed in art. The walls of palaces and temples all over ancient Greek lands were adorned with reliefs depicting naked men and women. The Greeks particularly loved to display men in nudity, representing their muscular physiques because the male human body had virtually become an object of worship. And during classical Greek times, it was a rule that men should always be depicted as being muscular and strong. And so for this reason, nearly all the sculptures of men from that period depict men with nearly ideal physiques. But for Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla, this display of nakedness must have been deeply disturbing. As Jews, these three had been instructed from childhood that the human body was holy and the public nudity was an offense to God. Since these images at that time still retained the original paint, one can only imagine how objectionable this sight must have been to Paul and his companions. It looked like pornography standing all around them. But this sight gave Paul and his team a deeper revelation of the rampant depravity in the city 
as well as the enormous challenge that was set before them. But when Paul and his team reached the crossroads at the base of the Great Theater, if they looked in either of the directions, they would have seen hundreds of these flesh-colored statues and idolatrous monuments lining the street to their right and to their left. But Paul and his apostolic team knew they were coming to a city that was spiritually dark. But they also knew that if God called them to this place where wickedness abounded, grace would also mightily abound. And in the years that followed, God's amazing grace was poured out in this dark city in so many amazing ways. People often call or write to ask, when will Rick take his next tour group to Ephesus? We want to go. So many people have made this request that Rick decided to bring Ephesus to you in the new series, Take a Tour with Rick, Ephesus. After years of praying and planning, Rick finally went to Ephesus to film this personal tour for you. And he gives the entire tour through the eyes of the Apostle Paul and Aquila and Priscilla as they saw Ephesus when they first arrived there to start the church at Ephesus. With permission from local authorities, even off-limits sites were open to Rick so he could take his film crew to show you sites that even tourists are not able to see. This is truly a one-of-a-kind tour, but it's not just a tour. As Rick walks you through the paths of Ephesus, he teaches all along the way. This 10-part documentary-type visual series is available in digital or physical formats, starting at just $20. We're also offering you the book, A Light in Darkness. This beautiful 800-page book features on-location photography with added artwork and illustrations to enhance the in-depth scriptural teaching that makes the early New Testament come alive on every page. Rick reveals insights into the ancient world and the disturbing realities that early believers faced as the church began to flourish in a pagan world. This book is available right now for just $80. Don't miss this special offer. The visual series, Take a Tour with Rick, Ephesus, and the book, A Light in Darkness. Call the number on your screen or go to renner.org to order. Call or go online now. Friends, this is Rick Renner, and today I want to give you a report about what's happening in the construction of our new studio. Work still continues. It's taken a little bit longer than we anticipated because of all the sanctions that have stopped materials from coming to Russia, but we're doing it step by step. And today they're installing the fireplace, which is going to be the centerpiece of this big room where we're going to be filming programs. But in addition to this, there's gonna be another set over here and another set over there. So many angles and opportunities to film teaching that people can trust in this room. But of course, this is just one room. But I have to tell you, I'm pretty excited about this room. To think that TV programs with the Word of God are going to be filmed right here. And when I look around this room, you can see this electrical grid, grid that's gonna hold all the lights. It's on electrical pulleys, so it goes up, it goes down. It's just going to have everything we need to film the teaching of the Word of God. But hey, there's more than this. Let me show you. Well, I know you can't tell from what it looks like right now, but this really is gonna be one of the smaller studios, and this is gonna be Denise's studio. 
because Denise is reaching women everywhere with her programming. And right from this spot, Denise is going to be sending her teaching to women all over the world. But hey, there's another set in addition to this one. This is our third studio in this new building. You may say, why do you need three studios? Because we're filming a lot of programs. Right now, we can only film one program at a time. We have to set it up, take it down, but this will enable us to do multiple things at one time. But on both floors of this building, there are multiple offices. In fact, there are 18 offices, and in all of these offices, people are going to be doing editing, writing, producing programs, working with our network. It is amazing the activity that's going to take place in this building. And it's not about buildings, it's about people. People need the teaching of the Word of God. But it's your generous gifts that have helped us to build this and we will complete it. But right now we're in phase three of our ministry, which is paying off our Tulsa ministry headquarters. We want to pay it off because the moment it's paid off, all of those funds will be released for us to broadcast the teaching of the Word of God around the world. And that's really our goal, to get the gospel and to teach people the Bible all over the world. They're just crying out for it, and they're waiting for that signal to come with the answer that they've been seeking. So please help us as we finish phase three to pay off the Tulsa facility. Well, let me ask you, how are you enjoying our tour of Ephesus? We're just getting started because when we come back tomorrow, I'm going to walk you down the stadium road all the way to the great stadium, which is a place that tourists can't go to. So in this series, I'm taking you to places that visitors cannot visit when they go to the city of Ephesus. Then we're going to return and go to the great theater where many biblical events took place. It's going to be amazing. Please don't miss tomorrow. But the entire series, which is 10 parts, is called Take a Tour with Rick. Many people have said, Brother Rick, please take us on a tour of Ephesus. I can't. So I'm bringing the tour to you. Take a tour with Rick. This is Ephesus. It's 10 parts. You will devour it and it will thrill your faith. It will feed your mind and really show you the environment where the church was born in the power of the Holy Spirit in the city of Ephesus. And along with this, we're offering you my book, which is called A Light in Darkness. Wow. This is an amazing book, and page after page after page is full color, all kinds of illustrations about the city of Ephesus so that you will see and read everything that the apostolic team saw when they first arrived there in the year 52. And my friends, if God can move in Ephesus, he can move where you are to believe that and release your faith for it. But hey, if you have a prayer need, please reach out to us. Let us know how to pray for you. And Father, we thank you that your grace abounds in darkness. And I speak the grace of God to you, my friend, in the precious name of Jesus Amen. I'll see you tomorrow. But until then, remember Ecclesiastes 8.4, which says, where the word of a king is, there is power. Renner Ministries is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through every available media to the uttermost parts of the earth. 
Discover the many ways you can help us make a difference in lives around the world with the Word of God. We invite you to partner with us in teaching, strengthening, and rescuing lives for the glory of God. Together, we can make a difference that will last throughout eternity. This program was made possible by the giving of the God-called partners of Renner Ministries.